Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Monday, March 22nd. And that means, folks, we are a little over a week away from regular season baseball at beautiful, historic Wrigley Field. The Cubs and Pirates will be there next Thursday, next week folks. The Chicago Cubs are back at Wrigley Field. There will be a small amount of the Wrigley faithful in attendance, which I imagine will be a beautiful sight, a welcome sight for all of us, at least to get us started on the road back to normalcy in that regard. And we're back on on the long marathon of a 162-game season. So, Brendan, we've got a little bit of runway left here in spring training, a little bit of the Cactus League, the, the Cubs trimming this roster, but we are right there almost there for baseball to be underway at Wrigley Field again. And the picture is getting a little bit clearer in terms of the pitching rotation and the lineup. We've seen David Ross throw out some pretty interesting lineups that I think carry over even to opening day. Uh, We're hearing Shelby Miller might start in the bullpen, and that fifth spot is becoming a little bit more obvious. So we are in the final week, man. Like This is the, the one week where everything gets ironed out, and it's time to start preparing your mind for baseball for the next five months every single day so enjoy enjoy the last week as much as you can because the stress is about to be turned on Corey so I, I thought it would be interesting first we, we got a couple of interesting lineups from David Ross over these last several spring training games and I wanted to take a look at them there I I I don't often like pay attention exactly to what the lineup is in spring training it's more just seeing that guys are healthy checking on the performances things like that but the a couple of these lineups, at least in in my view, elicited the most, um, hey, is this an opening day lineup type tweets and stuff on, on social media. So I just wanted to look at them and, and get your thoughts, Brendan, and I'll, of course, offer mine uh, just on if you'd like to see these come next Thursday, what we think about them, what we think about the positioning of everybody, things like that. And, you know, per usual, David Ross has not really said like, yes, this is going to be my opening day lineup or things like that. But let's see what we can take away from them and if we have any interesting thoughts on them. So uh, I'll I'll read the two of them. And it's, it's all the same eight players and then obviously a pitcher. So Let's work within that framework. If you have a different person bookmark for second base, really the only uh, difference that there might be, we can talk about that. But for now, it's 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 the same grouping of eight players in both lineups. They were just structured a little bit differently in these two games by David Ross. So they are as follows. Option number one is Ian Happ, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Jock Peterson, Wilson Contreras, Javi Baez, Jason Hayward, Nico Horner, one through eight. Option number two is Ian Happ, Wilson Contreras, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Jock Peterson, Javi Baez, Jason Hayward, Nico Horner. So in both of those lineups, you have the same six through eight, which is Javi, Hayward, Nico Horner, Ian Happ leading off in both lineups. So where the differences come in is that two through five spot. So I I just thought this was interesting. I it it, it raised a lot of intrigue, I think, seeing the Ian Happ, Wilson Contreras 1-2 
that we saw the last time Kyle Hendricks pitched. He was on the mound for this lineup. And then, of course, I think the first lineup I read feels a little more like what we've seen in the past few years. You just have Jock Peterson hitting cleanup in the four, but starting with Ian Happ and then Brizzo, two, three, Rizzo, then Bryant. Contreras five. It, it feels a little more familiar that that first option. So, mm-hmm. Brendan, I I guess I'll I'll throw it to you here. Did you have any thoughts on these couple lineups? Now, obviously, things could be different. This ha- doesn't have to be the structure, but obviously, it's likely going to be these eight players. Again, maybe it's David Bodie instead of Nico Horner. Maybe it's someone like Eric Sogard instead of Nico Horner. We've we all know that that's the one spot they have to make a decision, and that we're not positive what they're going to do. But the rest of these guys, this is what it's going to look like for the majority of the year, un- unless there's you know major changes throughout the season, guys' performance, things like that. So did you have a preference of, of either of these lineups? And more specifically, you know, we kind of know what everybody thinks about a, a more traditional one, you know, one that has Anthony in the two, Chris in the three, or Chris in the two, Anthony in the three. But curious what you thought of that lineup that had Wilson in the two spot, which is not really something uh, we have seen. I think we've seen it before, but not with great regularity starting games with Contre- uh, Hap and then Contreras. Well, lineup construction, as we've said over the years, it, it is mostly overemphasized. I don't want to use the word overrated because it does have effects, but it's mostly overemphasized. And that's coming from work from like Tom Tango, I think like over a decade ago now. The big thing that jumps out is where Rizzo bats. And if he bats second, presumably he's going to be batting with fewer possibilities of men on base to start to start the game right so you're batting second of course if half gets on that's great if he doesn't then you're basically the second leadoff guy and for me I don't really like that for Rizzo and the reason is as we talked about last week Rizzo against the shift is one of the most unfortunate players in major league baseball so uh, when he's not facing the shift his expected numbers are some of the best in Major League Baseball. So for me, I want Rizzo to get the most at-bats with the most possibilities of him not facing the shift. So if he's batting second, I think that is going to put him in situations where he, he is facing the shift. If he's batting third, even one spot down, I think he has more of a chance to not hit against the shift. So that that's my preference just overall. That's the big thing for me with these lineups. Now, when it comes to who should bat second, I I don't have a strong preference. I think Contreras batting second is fine. He's faster. Contreras, you know, a little bit below average strikeout rate. Great power, of course. He's one of the better hitters on the on the team. Sure, why not bat him second? Um, as far as like the third and fourth guys, I rather get KB in the top four than have. Jock in the top four, Jock Peterson in the top four. And in that first lineup, the top four was Hap, Rizzo, Bryant, Jock Peterson. And that's fine against a lefty or against a righty rather. That's that's fine. But just overall, I'm digging Hap, Contreras, Rizzo, Bryant. And I kind of like the righty, lefty, righty, uh, right, sorry, lefty, righty, lefty, righty situation there with Hap, Contreras, Rizzo, and Bryant. But mostly I like getting KB. Uh, more at bats in the top four. And I like any Rizzo more at bats not against the shift if he does bat in the third spot. Yeah, I think a good point that you brought up, as we've discussed, lineup construction is, I don't want to say negligible, that's a pretty strong word, but generally 
it's it's hard to predict its value because it's a lot of sequencing, right? Like, you know, if certain guys come up with more guys on base or not, that's hard to predict just by how you throw them out there in in the lineup. And really, as we've discussed, lineup construction mostly matters when you make big mistakes, right? And I don't know, Brendan, off the top of my head, a big (laughs) mistake might be letting a guy who's one of the worst hitters in baseball lead off for 30 games or something like that. Just a completely anecdotal, made-up example that I thought of off the top of my head as to where lineup construction really might matter. Anyway, not to go down that road again, but yeah. Otherwise, you're sort of nitpicking, and again, it just sort of depends on the individual performances of these guys and sequencing, Uh, you know, how, how innings play out, strikeouts, double plays, things like that. But it is contextual too, right? Like, you could have one pitcher who's this heavy sinker ball pitcher and one pitcher who's a heavy high fastball pitcher. And you look at those lineups and you think, okay, you know, Jock against a guy who throws high fastballs, bat him in the top four because Jock hits high fastballs better than the other guy. So it, it could be contextual too, right? Yeah. Like when we talk about these lineups, it's not going to be, this is your lineup every single day. Like it's not going to be like that. Yeah. And you know, there, there's, there's a balance that you have to strike there. And I think that'll be something that is, interesting to watch as David Ross goes into his first full season, uh, a 162-game season, as a major league manager. That That's something that we have heard, especially when, when Joe was the manager. You know, Joe was a big fan of moving things around, trying different things, and switching things up based on matchups. But, you know, we also heard at times that, you know, stability is important for some of these guys. You know, knowing the role that they're going to be playing, things like that, is useful for these guys. So, again, one of those things that David Ross is going to have to balance and learn to balance uh, with these guys. But I I did just want to talk about these because these felt like, okay, you know, these could be the opening day lineup. They got a lot of people's attention. And to some of the points you made, I, I, if, if, if they want to go with, uh, something, I, I guess you could call it classic, like we've seen over the last few years with Hap at the top, then Brizzo and Jock Peterson, Contreras, Javi Baez. Cool. I got, I got no beef with it. As we talked about with this group of offensive players, it's something that you've heard me, Brendan, and a lot of other people say many times. The talent is there. It, it's got to come together at the right time. You need the, the guys to be healthy and have the bounce back seasons that you need and for the other guys to remain consistent and, and do their thing. And it's it's not something we have often seen in the last few years where, you know, top to bottom, this offense is just clicking all at the right time. When it when it is, when it does, it's very impressive. It can be uh, very difficult for opposing pitchers to work around. It can be very stressful. You know, we've talked a lot about running up pitch counts, taking walks, things like that. And we've also seen it when it's not clicking at the same time. And we've, a lot has been, you know, that point has been belabored pretty heavily, uh, pretty extensively over the years. So it's a similar story, but there wasn't a lot of change in the offense. So of course it's going to be a similar story. But just looking at the Hap, Contreras, Rizzo, Bryant, Peterson, Baez, Hayward, Horner lineup that took the field uh, behind Kyle Hendricks the other day, I just like trying something a little different. Again, again, it's it's not as though we've never seen Wilson Contreras at the top of the lineup, but it's it's not necessarily been a regular 
thing, something that has happened repeatedly and kind of on a consistent basis. And I just like the idea of doing something a little different or something that's even slightly different than what you've been doing in past years. Uh, You know, Contreras is having a very hot spring as he, uh, you know, has done in the past. I think his OPS is over 1,100 right now. His on-base percentage is over 400. And, you know, he's a guy who I think is a good fit for that two-hole, especially if he's seeing the ball well at the plate. He can take his walks. He's got that high energy. He knows how to situationally hit. He's got some speed. Uh, You know, he's he's a catcher, but, you know, he's not, uh, you know, Yadi Molina or Benji Molina slow, right? Like, he's he's an athlete. He's he's a, a major athlete, Wilson Contreras. So, I think he's a good idea in that two spot, at least just to try. And I talked to you about this the other day, Brendan, but I don't mind in both of these lineups, Javi is in the sixth spot. And I don't mind that to start the season, right? I think we have talked a lot about Chris Bryant and Javi Baez. If you if if you don't know that they're really the key to all of this and, and coming back from their 2020 seasons by now, I'd be shocked because Brendan and I aren't the only people that put it that way. And it's it's just really clear, right? Like you've got one guy who won an MVP, one guy who was really close to winning an MVP. You need them to play at that level, right? Like that's sort of part of what this team is built around. So it's it's an obvious point that we keep hitting over the head. But So I'm confident that these guys are going to bounce back. We have talked exhaustively about how I do not believe that Chris Bryant is the version of himself that we saw in 2020, that injuries hampered him and took down his performance, and that if he's healthy, he is a top hitter in this league. We've also talked about how we don't believe Javi Baez is who he was in 2020. There were so many variables, so many factors, and that's just not the player he is. He is a a very talented offensive player, and we just didn't see that in 2020. So I have all the confidence in the world in these guys to have better seasons, not to put the pressure that I expect them to be MVPs or anything like that, but I believe in them to have better seasons and that they are not those players that they were in 2020. So this isn't really about them so much as just trying something a little different and not immediately putting those two right at the top of the order, giving them the most played appearances. And I don't know that it would put pressure on them, but coming off of the years they had, I just have no problem like letting Javi sit in the sixth spot if he looks like the 2018 version of himself right out the gate, which I I expect he's going to look that way at some point. Make a change. Move him back up in the lineup. Put him in the cleanup spot. Cool, right? If Chris Bryant is going nuts and he's he's putting up an MVP all-star level campaign, put him back in the two-hole, right? You can always move things around, but I think just to start with how those guys struggled with the unique circumstances of 2020, I was just intrigued by the idea of letting Hap and Contreras start things off, and you just kind of see where everybody's at, right? Rather than throwing them back up there at the top of the lineup, running back that kind of classic Cubs lineup uh, in that top four or five. And again, like I don't think that those two guys feel pressure uh, in that way. But I just liked the idea of like, let's just give them a second to ease back into things. And when we see them looking like themselves, which I think we all expect them to do, cool, shift things around, right? 
but I I was just intrigued by by that lineup that that top uh, that top four of Hap Contreras then Rizzo then Bryant and you know how you order the guys after that you know I think is uh, pretty up in the air you kind of see how guys are going if Jason Hayward looks like the the trends he's been on especially in 2020 you know you can move him up we've seen David Ross do that Nico Horner in the second base position obviously a big wild card you see how that goes mm-hmm. but. I was intrigued. That that's really my main yeah. point. Uh, I, I was intrigued by that top of the lineup with Hap and Contreras, and I would be interested to see what those two guys are able to do in terms of setting the table. Then for what what if if things go the right way, what would be a, a pretty sh- like strong middle of the yeah, order, man. right? If you've yeah. got Rizzo, well, I- Bryant, Peterson, Baez hitting the cover off the ball, looking like themselves, playing at that higher percentile level of what their performance is capable of, that is a lethal middle of the order. And I think those two guys at the top would would do a nice job of of setting the table for them. But again, if they want to go Hap, Rizzo, Bryant, Bryant, Rizzo, whatever, go for it. Like I'm, you know, it's yeah. it it's all good. I'm I'm ready for whatever they want to do. And and really the takeaway, Brendan, was, you know, I'm looking at these lineups going like, I'm feeling this, man. You know, like a lot of the names are the same. Like Jock Peterson is basically just swapped out for Kyle Schwarber and you're kind of dreaming on what Nico Horner can be. But I'm, you know, as usual, I'm looking at it going like, oh yeah, like I'm ready to ride with these guys, of course. Yeah, I I think too, the fact that we're talking about this lineup with stability at the leadoff spot is kind of refreshing and it could change, right? Like Ian Happ, he had a great year last year. Most of it was top-heavy in the first part of the season, but the plate discipline persisted the entire season for Ian Happ. The power persisted. And if he is who he showed he could be in 2020, that is huge for this huge. team because we're not talking about the leadoff spot. Granted, though, if Happ does show some signs of having to adapt again or adjust again, you mentioned him. Hayward, if he continues those trends, I'm I'm even fine giving Hayward some leadoff chances. I know he's had a few chances in the past few years, granted, when he was a different type of hitter, but Hap at that top of the lineup is such an anchor right yeah. now. And even even if he is successful, even if he is successful at the leadoff spot, if Hayward is also successful, I can see a situation where you want to elongate the lineup more so put your power guys in the middle of the lineup and put Hayward up top. So there's a possibility here if both those trends continue, if Hap's trend continues, if Hayward's trend continues, you have two viable leadoff candidates. And I think my preference is if Hayward is who he was last year, like I have no issue putting Hap in the middle of the order. Like that would be an incredibly powerful middle of the order if Hayward is that type of guy with plate discipline, with contact, with mild power. So it's all to say you have options now. All of a sudden you have options and they're they are variable, right? Like one year we had Javi as an MVP candidate. He couldn't adjust and he had one of the worst years of his career last year. So this is all very very variable. But there are so many permutations and possibilities you can see with these guys and it, it it should make you excited I think yeah well and, and just to be clear basically what you're saying is is that there's a scenario where Ian Happ continues to ascend and is yeah. performing so well that you'd rather him be in a more uh run producing spot rather than a for sure that's, that's what I mean spot. but also but 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 also too Corey like if 
if he has to go through another adjustment phase, he's 26, like he seems older than he is, but if he has to go through another adjustment phase, which I have confidence he can get through, it's nice to have Hayward as a consistent guy in this lineup be able to be a plan B option for that leadoff spot. That, that, that's yeah, my point. Sure. I'm not saying and, it's going to happen. Also, you know, I think that's probably more in line with what they envisioned for Hayward when they when they signed him just in terms of his ability to get on base and have good at bats and things like that. But I, I do want to point out uh, like the way that Ian Happ started Monday's game against the Angels was really impressive. Uh, only a six pitch at bat, but he goes down 0-2 quickly, takes three straight balls and then launches a home run to right field over the outstretched glove of Dexter Fowler, who you might remember as a member of the 2016 Chicago Cubs that won the World Series. Won the World so, Series. So it was just an impressive at bat. Uh, you know, again, it's a spring training at bat, but I, I think in talking about Ian Happ, we've talked about Happ a lot over the years in terms of his flexibility, his versatility, and what he's been able to do for this team. And of course, his ability to transition to the leadoff spot in such a unique position as as 2020 and his ability to do that with such success was really impressive. Uh, but just watching at-bats like this, it, it, it was a reminder of, uh, you know, he, he's still a young player and he's still trying to make those strides to position himself as as a star in this league and on this team and it was just again it's it's one spring training at bat but it it's just impressive to see a guy be moved to the leadoff spot which as we've seen as Cubs fans is a transition it is a different mindset and it has not worked for a lot of guys and and not only has it not worked for a lot of guys it seems to have kind of messed them up right trying to get themselves in a leadoff mindset and and the work that Hap has done to mold himself into more of a leadoff hitter somebody that can take long at bats somebody that can take walks work counts set the table for those guys behind him which is his job has been really really impressive uh and you know when he first came up not necessarily what you assumed he would be doing so you know we we I, I think we we give Ian proper props on here plenty, but it's just a reminder that, you know, that what he's been tasked with, especially after how long the Cubs have searched for a stable leadoff hitter, Hap's ability to make those adjustments and succeed and continue making improvements is really impressive. It's not easy and it's really impressive. And and that at bat to start Monday's game was just kind of a reminder of like, man, like this is, I mean, you know, not that we need the reminder. This is a talented kid who's made a lot of adjustments and who's done a lot of impressive things over the last few years once he started to really get that playing time and really get that confidence of the Chicago Cubs coaching staff. But that's, uh, you know, I think where we are on the offense, I, as far as clarity on second base, um, you know, Eric Sogard had a good game uh, the other day, but I, you know, I've made my kind of reservations about that uh, kind of clear. David Bodie hitting the cover off of the ball, uh, hit two homers the other day, had a nice five RBI game you know, just, and, you know, a, another reminder, like, it's a guy that just hits missiles um, when he makes contact, when he barrels up a ball. He really, really hits it. And so I don't think we have uh, much clarity there. You know, it's it's a positional battle that 
looks like guys that want the job. And it, it I think ultimately, again, it's, it's going to come down to probably what has been the case this entire time, which is what do they think of Nico and what do they believe is the best move for his future as the second baseman of the Chicago Cubs, not just in 2021. So that's, as it has been this whole time, still something to keep an eye on as we, as we run down the Cactus League schedule here. Uh, but I, I don't have specifically more clarity for you on that at this moment. So I, I want to, uh, I, I, do, you, do you have any final lineup thoughts? So Bodie's been hitting the cover off the ball. And one interesting tidbit is he looks different doing it. So look at his video from last year. Look at his spring training at bats from this year. You're going to notice he's more upright a little bit more quiet at the dish. And the the hard hit balls he has been hitting have been on low pitches. I want to see him hit those high pitches. That's been his kryptonite over the years. But the fact that he is making that change where he's not as deep in his stance, he's not as crouched over, he's way more upright, almost, and this, this is an extreme example, but kind of that like Justin Turner-esque upright calmness to him. That's what he looks like. So keep looking at that as a, next week and a half progresses and I I would not be surprised Corey if he gets the first not a second base we'll see what Nico looks like too but the plan with Nico seemed a little bit obscure at this point that they may just give the nod to Bodie and see if he can run with it and see how Nico's development goes I mean that's all to say like like Nico is my guy like he's my second baseman like overall but to start they may give Bodie more opportunities or relatively more opportunities while mixing Nico in just to get him going a little bit. Yeah, so that is where we are on the lineup, as I said. Either way, however David Ross rolls it out, I think it's a similar story as we've seen in past years. You know, obviously the new addition, you're looking for Jock Peterson to continue uh, dropping bombs and see what he can do against lefties and, and make that name for himself as an everyday starter. And we know the talent is there from these guys. We see it all the time. We've seen it at the regular season level. We've seen it from most of these guys on the biggest of stages in October and sometimes in November. And we know it's there. It's, it's got to come together. You need guys to be healthy. And uh, I'm, I'm sure that there's a portion of you who are like rolling your eyes like, boy, have I heard this before? But it's true. You know, I, I if if the talent wasn't there, if if I didn't believe that the talent was there in this group, I wouldn't say it, right? But it is there. There is a realistic scenario where these guys come together at the right time. They have seasons that they've all had before at the same time, and this offense is really good. It may still be flawed. It may still have some similar flaws, but it can still be really good and can support a team that is trying to defend their NL Central crown. So want to switch to pitching a little bit, and where I would like to start um, from the Sun-Times, Russ Dorsey, the, the beat reporter for the Sun-Times, was joking the other day uh, in a tweet that the Cubs have not named an opening day starter, and, and after every sentence that he wrote in the tweet, he just put in parentheses, Kyle Hendricks, uh, because David Ross hasn't announced this yet, but he's on he's on the right schedule for it, and it's going to be Kyle Hendricks. So we have not gotten the formal announcement of Kyle Hendricks, but spoiler alert, it's going to be Kyle Hendricks on April 1st at Wrigley Field, and that is not an April Fool's joke. Uh, but I do want to talk about a couple of the guys behind him. Now, 
It's only spring training. Of course, there's that caveat always, but this is the sample that we have to go on. And it's what you want to see from these guys. So two things I want to point out. Uh, We talked a little bit, I think, last week about Zach Davies. uh, But so, you know, he in his last start the other day surpassed uh, a, a full you know, nine innings in in spring training, uh, going nine plus, meaning he threw some pitches uh, after that, but did not record an out. But he's gone nine innings. He has not given up an earned run. He has only given up one run, and it was unearned. Uh, So that is very nice, right? Uh, And then Trevor Williams, who Brendan, if he continues to pitch like this, is going to pretty often, I would imagine, pat himself on the back for this one, but I'm hoping that you can talk a little bit more in depth about what he's doing. Uh, 13 and two-thirds innings so far this spring, two earned runs, and an 11-to-1 strikeout-to-walk rate. So, it's again, it's spring training, and you know this is uh, for Williams. I think that's scattered over maybe four outings or something like that. You know, so some of these are only three innings or, or stuff like that. But this is what you want to see out of these guys. This is how the Cubs built this pitching staff after you trade you Darvish. You are trying to bring in new guys. Uh, Williams more so than than Davies. Davies is a, a sort of a, a different. Uh, kind of guy from a lot of these other members of the pitching staff. But Williams in particular, and someone like Shelby Miller, who will probably start in the bullpen, it sounds like. But this is how they built this pitching staff, with a lot of uh, reclamation projects or guys that you are trying to look at how can we improve these guys on the margins? How can we take their spin rate and make them more effective? How can we change the sequencing? You know, this guy was using his fastball a lot on his last team. Let's have him throw more sinkers. This guy, as Brendan talks about with a lot of these guys, this guy's focusing on sinkers down and away. Let's try throwing them up in the zone or whatever it is, right? This guy has a curveball that he's never used and can be a weapon, and we're going to figure out how to do it. That's how they built this pitching staff. And to see someone like Trevor Williams going out there and having the success that he had, it's it's another one of those, like, this is really obvious, and I'm not uh, going to win, like, analyst of the year for pointing it out. But this this stuff is key to this team's success. These guys who maybe have not been that good or great on other teams, but coming over here, working with the Cubs pitching infrastructure, and elevating their game, taking their game to the next level, and giving the Cubs a solid amount of depth to eat these starts behind Kyle Hendricks and Zach Davies. So I just wanted to throw out those numbers. It's just sort of good to check in on where these guys are. And especially as we wind down on spring training, you know, these are these are solid numbers. I mean, Trevor Williams has walked one guy. He struck out 11 guys. He's walked one guy in all of these outings. He's only given up two runs in 13 and, two and, thir- 13 and two-thirds innings. Those are solid numbers. How it all carries over to the regular season, how it carries over when, you know, these guys are going five, six, seven, eight innings against the Cardinals, the Brewers, Dodgers, teams like that. We'll see. But these are good results in the spring. And as always, it it's stuff that just lends a lot of confidence to trusting this pitching group in who they're identifying, how they're working with them, and ultimately the guys that end up making the roster. Not everybody's going to work. We've seen that. You know, we've seen guys who have come over that maybe we had some higher hopes for that, you know, it didn't work right out of the gate. You know, um, Cole Stewart, I think, was one who, who Brendan really liked. And, you know, it, he, he's he's not in line to be in the rotation or anything right out the gate. But 
there's a lot of guys and you know some of these guys you continue working with it's it's not going to happen overnight it's not going to happen in a matter of weeks but seeing some of these performances I think lends a lot of confidence into what the Cubs should be able to do throughout the regular season and how they're going to be able to manage these innings and it may not be a staff where you have multiple guys set up to get Cy Young votes or things like that but what we're trying to do is just have an effective pitching staff that can keep this team in games. And I think from what we've seen so far, I, I have a lot of confidence that the Cubs are going to be able to do that on more days than not. You're going to have Hendricks, opening day starter, followed by Davies, Arietta, Williams. And then the fifth spot right now appears to be Alec Mills with Shelby Miller getting some outings out of the bullpen recently. And Alice Light also swinging out of the bullpen as well. The the rotation's going to be flexible. Like the fifth spot, it's it's just kind of an open position where one week it might be Alzali, the other week it might be Miller. And Mills may need to get some time in the bullpen as well. We we really don't know. And even with Cole Stewart, as you mentioned, Corey, just because he's not in the discussion now doesn't mean at some point during the year he will be in the discussion. I mean, he has among the guys we've talked about, the best stack ass peripherals. Doesn't mean that that's going to translate, but it's all to say there is room for him to work on so many things to optimize so many different pitches. So by May, we could be talking about Cole Stewart, even though we're not talking about him right now. But centering in on Trevor Williams, I do want to talk about him. He is, I mean, he looks great, Corey. This is spring training, and I'm not going to be focusing on the, the actual outcomes per se, but the outcomes are coming with some impressive outings. I think his last outing, the way he attacked the zone, especially that first inning, if you go back and watch his outing, the first inning, he's hitting mostly every fastball where the catcher's setting up. Outside, inside, he's hitting it. And then the second inning, he starts elevating his pitches. I think half his fastballs in the second inning were thrown above the belt. Then he mixes in these harder breaking pitches, and this is something he did with Pittsburgh, but and the angle's all different, so we won't know. But the the way those sliders looked, pretty good. The top of the fourth inning, he had one strikeout against Diaz on the Rockies. Go back and look at that. Two really sharp breaking pitches that just slid off the table. And he's been working on a curveball as well with a different grip. I haven't seen too many of those. He still may be working on that, but the slider looks good, dude. And if he continues to elevate his sinker or four-seamer, as we saw in that second inning, I mean, it's like everything I kind of hoped would happen with him. And we'll see again. We'll see how it translates in the regular season. But Trevor Williams has been talking about working on, literally he said, 10 different pitch grips for his curveball. And he's talked about using a few different slider iterations, a few different types of grips, even on that slider. And so those are points of emphasis for him. And to get results and get whiffs, from my eyes, looking at the games, that's that's encouraging. And it's not just about staying competitive with, with the rotation. If these guys get more whiffs, like if Arietta gets more whiffs, and if Williams get more whiffs, with their command and their ability to get the ball on the ground... They're not just keeping the Cubs in the game. They're going to be an above-average starting pitcher if 
they continue to do this, if they continue to get weekly hit balls on the ground again while getting more whiffs. And that's well within the realm of possibility. Is it going to happen? I don't know, but it is a legitimate possibility. And from you know one through four with those guys I just mentioned, the rotation is shaping up to be probably the biggest storyline of this year because there is a legitimate chance that the rotation is not as weak as we thought even before the Darvish trade. And I wish we did have Darvish. The rotation would be unbelievable, I think. It's unfortunate. But even without Darvish, this could be an above-average rotation. And that is a lot of work by Tommy Hadovy. Every podcast we do this, but we have to mention it. By Tommy Hadovy, Craig Breslow, the entire pitch lab. And we're seeing even like Craig Kimbrell look better. We saw uh, Pedro Strope throwing 95, yeah. Corey. So you're seeing results even in the bullpen. The, the entire staff is crazy how uh, one and a half, two years makes such a big difference in projecting some of these arms that we have. Yeah, and I think, you know, it would be a different conversation if you had a different rotation. If this if this rotation had Kyle Hendricks, still had you Darvish, and had like 2015 Jake Arrieta, or let's say 2016, because you'd be coming off of 2015, the conversation would be a little easier, right? We'd be like, well, these guys are really good, so we expect them to be really good. And I think in past years, you know, like last year, we might have had a conversation of, well, I can see either you Darvish or Kyle Hendricks competing for a Cy Young, literally. Like, I think the Cubs might have multiple people in that regard. And you know, the conversation would be different. You'd have very high expectations and you'd expect them to meet or exceed those expectations. But that's not the rotation the Cubs have. So a lot of this this conversation and a lot of the discourse around these guys is going to be on on things like Brendan is talking about. And, you know, I, I definitely understand uh, that it would be probably preferred to have such high confidence and be able to look at years and years of these guys performing at elite levels heading into a season for for several of your rotation members and that you know it it's it's not exactly the place that maybe you'd want to be that you feel like so much hinges on the adjustments that someone like Trevor Williams is making right i i get that but the 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 pitching infrastructure is very talented and a lot of the guys in this pitching staff are talented and this is what it's going to be about for the cubs these adjustments are huge and what they can get out of these guys is huge that that's what they've got right I, I put Hendricks and Davies kind of in their own group because they, they do represent more of that, like, not equally. Kyle Hendricks is much better than Zach Davies. Don't get it twisted. But they've been around for a minute. You kind of know what you're getting with them. David Ross even said that today about Kyle Hendricks because I think Keegan Thompson started uh, in the actual Cactus League game instead of Hendricks. And David Ross was just like, I know who Kyle Hendricks is. I don't need to see him in a Cactus League game. He needs to get his pitches in. We'll see him for the regular season, right? So you kind of know what the deal with those two guys. But so much of the Cubs' success hinges on what they're able to do with these other guys. And, uh, you know, so I, I just say that to mean like, I don't, I don't want you to think that, uh, you know, Brendan is expecting Trevor Williams to compete with Garrett Cole for the, the top pitcher in the league because we talk about him so much. We talk about him so much because him and guys like Alec Mills and, you know, what role someone like Shelby Miller can play, et cetera. This is what the pitching staff sort of hinges on for the Chicago Cubs team. So 
it, it may not be uh, the, the perfect way to go into a season, but the Cubs can do it. They have the right people to do it, especially on that coaching and infrastructure staff, and it's huge for this team. So we're, we're going to keep checking in on this stuff and, and especially some of the developments, pitch changes, things that these guys are working on because it's, it's huge. It's the whole story for this pitching staff, really. Um, but I do want to go to a couple things you talked about in the bullpen. Um, we talked, I think, last week about Craig Kimbrell and a bad outing that he had had just in terms of control. Um, and he followed that up with uh, a sort of one that really flipped the script in terms of, you know, how people were, were feeling about it. Uh, touching 98, I think sitting around 97, touching 98 sometimes, and that's huge. Um, I, I, again, like I feel like a lot of this stuff is like, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't want to, I'm not trying to sound smart. A lot of this is really obvious, right? Craig Kimbrell's throwing harder. That's good, right? What an analyst I am, Brendan, huh? Um, but him being at 98, even touching it, even if it's kind of a hot gun in Arizona, which sometimes is the case, you know, you'll go to from Sloan Park to somewhere in Tempe and they've got completely different guns or things like that, right? But 97, 98 in March, right, for a guy that we've seen kind of need to take a little time to defrost, season up a little bit, right? That's huge. And it's it's something where, you know, Craig is obviously a guy that I... I don't blame anybody. I totally get it. If you're not 100% confident, I wouldn't say that I am, right? But him being at that velocity heading into the season, not even once we started the season, and believing that a more regular schedule, more regular workload and stuff like that is going to be helpful for him, especially as a veteran, I I think that's a really good place for him to be uh, and should give you at least some confidence that he is going to be able to look more like that guy we saw in the latter half of 2020. And we've talked about this before, but again, Kimbrel's huge for, for this team, not just because he's set up to be your closer and he's making a lot of money to do so um, in a bullpen that doesn't have a lot of really super established, like sure things, right, as it's been over the years, even as good as the Cubs have been getting performance out of those guys. But if the Cubs find themselves in a place where they are active at the trade deadline, and I hope that's not the case, I hope they're buying at the deadline, not selling, but if they end up in that spot, for whatever reason, Kimbrel's huge, you guys. You know what I mean? Like Kimbrel's one of those guys who he's a veteran closer. Like that's, that's the type of thing that, you know, people want at the deadline. So him being good is crucial to the Cubs success on the field. And it would also be crucial to, if they're not having success, that they're still able to make 2021 a success. So him hitting that velo this early is a big deal. And, you know, we'll see if he's able to carry it on, but that was big. Pedro Strope hitting 95, Brendan, he yeah. had a really good inning uh, the other day, generated some soft contact, looked good. But what I want to point out, and this was uh, something that uh, Matt Clapp at the blog finds, friend of the podcast, pointed out on Twitter, Pedro was at around 91 for the Cincinnati Reds in 2020. So I don't know if it's fair to expect him to stay at 95. It was his first outing. Maybe he's amped up. Maybe it's a hot gun, right? And maybe it was more like 94, 93, whatever it was. But that's a big difference from 91. That's a huge difference. 
And if you can get him to a place where he's able to be a few ticks higher than that, or even anywhere close to 95, that's a potentially big thing for this team. And before I throw it to you, Brendan, to talk a little bit about uh, Kimbrel, Strope, Shelby Miller, whatever you want to touch on in the bullpen, especially with you know some of these velo readings, I want to remind everybody because there's always confusion about this, and it's been a little while since he was, uh, you know, they, they signed him to the minor league deal or whatever last season, but it's been a while since we've we've had Pedro. I just want to remind you guys of something. In his career with the Chicago Cubs, Pedro Strope pitched in 411 games for 373 innings. He has a 2.90 ERA with a 1.05 whip and a 10.3 K per nine in those 373 innings. All right? Pedro Strope is one of the best relievers this organization has ever seen. Full stop. Your anecdotal memory of him walking a guy or blowing a save one time or whatever it was does not matter when the workload he has produced over several years is at a level that is more consistent than you know 99% of relievers. He is has been so good for the Chicago Cubs. I don't know what he has left in the tank. I don't know what to expect of him in 2021. But as we always used to say, right, be careful if you're going to put slander or anything like that on Pedro Strope because we're not here for it and you're just wrong, like frankly, like you're really way wrong. Um, so put some respect on Strope's name. You don't have to believe he's going to be a piece for this bullpen. You don't have to believe he's going to be great, but just make sure you're talking with the correct context when you're speaking about someone like Pedro Strope. That's that's all I have, Brendan. It's all you. Uh, Kimbrell, we, we got to see more than just one Audi with a 97-98. I, I think it is exciting, but there is room for air with those guns as you were talking about. And same thing with Pedro Strope. But if they are indeed in that range, that that, that is huge, right? To see Kimbrell this early on averaging 97 in an outing, hitting 98, looking decent. I mean, that 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 is huge. I think we also forget how Kimbrell ended 2020. The first month was so bad that seeing what he did in 2020 in September seems like an afterthought. But Corey... His FIP in 2020, in September, was negative 0.35. He did not allow any runs. He His left on base percentage was 100%, okay? He, he was shut down in September. He faced 24 batters, and basically no one did anything off of him. His K per nine, even, even in August, was over 20, but in September, it was still 16, so he was still striking out guys. His issue was his command. His fastball was getting blitzed left and right early on in that August. So if he comes back, he's throwing 97, 98. If the command is refined, absent of any age-related decline, I don't see how he would be, you know, monstrously bad for an entire year. Again, the command has to be so brutal for those numbers to go above like a 5 ERA. And maybe it happens, right? But most of the time when Kimbrell is dialed in and comfortable and not going through these injury spells, which he has over the past couple of years, he's one of the better relievers in the game. Now, it's a matter of can he stay healthy? 
Can he continue to be consistent with that command? And so far, like, you know, it's only been spring training, whatever, but he's not showing signs of weakness. He's not showing signs of injury. If it is 97, 98, that should give some encouragement. And it's, it's kind of funny how you mentioned Kimbrell, you know, being really important for this team in case they do have to sell, even though we've been hyping the team the entire month, it feels like. But yeah, you are right. If Kimbrell is a even like a top 20th percentile reliever, that is big for this team and getting a potential return. But also, if he is hitting that projection, if he is like one of the top 20 relievers in Major League Baseball, with the bullpen we saw last year, and that continues, the bullpen is, is a strength, again, for the second consecutive year. And now you have a rotation with decent potential. The, the staff, the entire pitching staff as a whole is just looking encouraging. It's looking like you have a legitimate chance of reaching that top tier of your projection. And it goes back to those Pakoda projections. They, the Cubs, were one of the most variable projected teams. And the reason for that was because those computers cannot predict these pitchers. They they just can't do it. They've had so many wild years, like Arietta 2015, one of the best second halves ever, right? 2018, 2019, not the best, also with injuries. And the same thing can be said for about Kimbrell. And the same thing can be said about someone like a Rowan Wick or a Kyle Ryan, who's now going to be off from AAA. But you have all these pitchers without ample sample sizes and ample sample sizes of consistency that when Bakota makes these types of win projections, just because the average is 85 does not tell the whole story. They do this thousands of times. In many cases, the Cubs are above 85 wins many times, and they're also below 85 many times as well. And it speaks to the volatility of this team, but you can focus on that. That's fine. You want to focus on the volatility and, and the, the projections below 85? That's you know, your, your thing. Go for it. But you can't ignore the fact that there is a legitimate chance this is a well above an 85-win team, approaching 90 wins. And we're talking about Jock Peterson making these changes and David Bodie maybe being a, a quality utility guy and hopefully Nico Horner, who gained like a thousand pounds of muscle mass and is looking great out there. You see where this team can solidify themselves in the National League as a 90-win team, plus 90-win team, if you want to get even crazy. And seeing Kimbrell lock it down, throwing 97-98, if he does do that again in subsequent outings, you're going into this year, I'm going into this year, with the mindset that 85 wins is not the likely outcome. Because if the computers knew that Kimbrell was on this track, if the computers knew that Williams was adjusting this slider, and Arietta, who had a great game last time with his curveball, was looking back on track, and if they knew that all these guys would be elevating their sinkers, they don't calculate that in, right? And if those were part of the scenario, I think 85 wins is too low. I think 87, 88 wins is probably more of the likely scenario. And in this division, that would be enough. Going into the year, we'll see how it turns out. That would be enough probably to win this division. Yeah, quite. I think, look, if you've listened to this show since we started, there has never been a spring where when it ended and we were heading into opening day, Brendan and I have been anything less than extremely optimistic, right? <laughs> uh, 2017, 2018, <laughs> I might have literally said I think they're going to win 110 games. 
So optimism is usually what you get from us. Uh, We might freak out when they trade someone like you, Darvish, but you're hard-pressed to find people who are more like desperate for for this team to be good. Um, I, I wouldn't go as crazy this year, but what I would say is as we head into, you know, only a handful of spring training games left, getting ready to be back at Wrigley Field with with fans next week and, and get this thing started, I think this spring has been very encouraging in in a lot of ways. And I think, you know, over this next week you, you get some of these position battles, you get some of these bullpen battles sorted out, get everybody healthy and to Wrigley Field to play the Pirates. And I, I think it was a, a very good spring, a very successful spring for a lot of these guys. And you saw a lot of what you want to see that would make this team successful. And as with any team, there's a ton of variables, right? You need guys to stay healthy. You need guys to have bounce back seasons or to come through on betting on themselves, someone like Jock Peterson, right? You need Ian Happ to continue taking those steps and cementing himself as as the player that he wants to be. There's variables, of course, but but that's really true of any team. And I think throughout this spring, you, you've seen a lot of just what you want to see from these guys. Kyle Hendricks looks like himself. He's going to be himself. He's going to compete at a Cy Young level. Zach Davies has looked really good. He looks like the type of guy who is a solid major league starter who I think, and, and again, Brendan and I are as guilty of this as anyone, got overlooked because of the trade that he was acquired in. But that doesn't mean he's not a good pitcher and a solid MLB starter. Trevor Williams has looked good. Someone like Shelby Miller has looked good. A lot of these relievers have looked good. I think Tommy Hadovy and David Ross are going to have a nice group to choose from. Rowan Wick threw a bullpen today or yesterday. He's back on track, you know, when he's going to be healthy and ready to go. Jock Peterson, you know, has several home runs. He was at the top of the offensive leaderboards in a lot of categories, I think, just a few days ago. Um, you know, he he's looked good. Anthony, Chris, the, these guys look good. Um, and I think, again, of course, it's what translates over. It's how they look over the course of 162 games. But I think, you know, looking at this spring, I don't know that we saw too much when, when, when we, when you know, there's still a week left. But when we go back to what we talked about when spring training got started, you know, one of the things I said was you always, you're not going to get too bogged down in the numbers unless there's really crazy extremes, right? Guys are really, really good, like eye-poppingly good or awful, like really awful, like what's going on with this guy. And I don't know that there's been too much of that. Um, And that's, you know, I think mostly a good thing. You know, I think you've seen the things you want to see. You've seen a lot of positives, a lot of progress from a lot of these guys. And I, I I think it's been an, an encouraging if if maybe um not super exciting spring, but it's been an encouraging one, which I think is is I mean is I wouldn't fine. say I wouldn't say it's not exciting, Corey. I mean there's been a lot of exciting things. You have Jock Peterson. Well, I, going I just off. meant, you, have... you know, nothing like super crazy, I guess, right? And, you know, yeah. Jock Jock put Which up is, some pretty yeah, gaudy numbers for, for part of this stretch. But, I, you know, I was anticipating him being a good hitter, right? Like, so I, I just mean, like, it's it hasn't um, 
you know, been wild. Like we haven't had too many days where you and I are, are, you know, uh, guys like Brett and Evan are like freaking out about things one way or the other. But I think it's been a lot of good progress. I'm trying to rattle my brain. Like like for me, this has been the best spring training in, in recent memory. I just think knowing what they're trying to do and seeing how clear it is from a pitching point of view for for me, this is like the most memorable spring training. And so I I think it is exciting in, in that regard. And I think it's exciting because this is the first spring training they've been able to employ their pitching infrastructure. This is it. The very first time last year, it was cut off after like a month when pitchers and catchers reported. They're already almost like six, seven weeks into it. And look at what you're seeing. You're seeing Pedro Strope throwing 95 you're seeing Shelby Miller developing this new slider, which, I mean, like, it looks really good. He's never had that pitch before. I'm not an expert with that, but it looks good. He's getting whiffs. He's talking about it. He knows what he needs to change. I mean, he's been a predominantly fastball guy his entire career. Now he's throwing this upper mid-upper 80s breaking pitch, Corey, and he's throwing 95-96 out of the pen. So, that is exciting to me, but I, I get your point. Like, there's not there's not one guy. Like, there's not a Chris Bryant from twenty was it twenty fourteen or twenty fifteen where he hit nine home runs. That's not happening right now. But I think, as a whole, when you look at the entire staff generally, it, it is extremely encouraging and probably the best spring as an entire team I can I can remember. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 looking forward to it. As I said, when I was looking at those two lineups, I, I tweeted them out side by side. But I was just looking at them, going like, "Yeah, I'm into this. Like, I'm I'm ready to get behind these guys. I'm excited to see what this group can do." Um, you know, and again, for like as many discussions as we've had about the offense and you know all of its successes and struggles, like the the talent is there, and and I will never not uh, dream on it all coming together you know, give me consistent Anthony Rizzo, give me what Ian Happ showed in 2020, give me 2016 Chris Bryant, 2018 Javi Baez, roll it all into one lineup with Jock Peterson betting on himself, like, let's go, you know? It's spring, (laughs) we're ready to start a new season, there's going to be fans back at beautiful, historic Wrigley Field. I'm pumped. I I told you, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying 100 wins, I'm not saying 110 wins, nothing crazy. You're saying but 95 I, wins. <laughs> let me say this. Like watching this team this spring, going through this offseason, I am confident that this team is going to go out there and defend their NL Central title. I, I believe defend, in yes. their ability to do it, and I you know, am expecting them to perform at a level that allows them to defend that NL Central title. But kind of going to it, do you think if I just start introducing this show, uh, this is the Cubs-related podcast presented by Tommy Hadovy and the Cubs pitching infrastructure. Do you think that like eventually <laughs> yeah. he'll it'll get to him or anything like that? Like if we just like try to manifest yeah, I mean, we can give it Tommy Hadovy's presence on this podcast? Because I feel like we just mention it enough that like, you know. Honestly, at this point, they should start paying us to do it. Like, this is like actual advertising space for them at this point. Well, and I mean, it's deserved, but I, you know, I'm just wondering what we I have know to do. I I, know you know, is. I think we just need a segment every week where you sit down with Tommy Hadovy or Craig Breslow and just break, break some of this stuff that. down, you know? I would love it. We'll set it up for us and we'll do it. Uh, let me, let me open up my phone and, <laughs> and give Tommy Hadovy yeah, a call. You. 
Just give him yeah, the text. <laughs> um, I, I might be able to tweet at him, but I don't think he's very active on social media. And I think he'd probably think you and I were kind of psychotic, but we well, are. That's probably so, true. Though, yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Tommy Hadavi <laughs> sponsoring this podcast or not, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be here. Uh, and, you know, we're going to get on that twice a week schedule here for you soon uh and you know get ready for the season it's it's going to be exciting i mean more than anything i think i'm looking for you know baseball it, it's it's weird to say that we've done this once but you know baseball's presence uh last time in in the middle of a pandemic and everything going on in the rest of the world was a very welcome one it was it was very nice to be able to dig into baseball for a few hours a day and and support the cubs and support the boys try to win some games and uh, that that's still true, you know, beyond even just our general love of baseball. So I, I'm very excited for that. It's going to be really beautiful to see some folks back at Wrigley Field. I, I, I am not going to be there yet, uh, but I saw so many folks uh, that I follow on, on social media, on Twitter and stuff like that, posting that, you know, they were able to get tickets, uh, either being season ticket holders through that uh, presale or the general presale. And just the, the sheer emotion from people, um, you know, I, I, I saw a lot of people posting screenshots of the MLB ballpark app where the digital tickets are held and just saying, like, you know, seeing these tickets in my digital wallet, like, nearly made me cry. Like, I can't wait to be back at Wrigley Field and everything and and so it's uh it's exciting I, I think it's it's exciting and it's it's uh you know it's hopeful it, it brings hope just to everything going on and I I can't wait for it I think it's going to be really exciting to just be able to have baseball back in our lives and and yeah get back and we got a division to defend folks we are the reigning nl central champions and anthony rizzo and the boys are ready to go out there and defend their crown so you got about a a week and a half as i'm as i'm speaking to you now to uh get yourself prepared get yourself emotionally ready for the long haul you know we're coming off a 60 game season so it kind of uh you know, maybe trick you a little bit. Like we're we're back in the long haul. It's it's several months of of living and dying with every pitch. If you're you know as nuts as Brendan and I, maybe some of you are able to approach these games in a more calm. You know, it's it's a marathon, not a sprint manner. But you know, Brendan and I will be on the phone in inning one of uh, <laughs> of of the regular season if it if it's not going. He's throwing well. ninety, yeah. not ninety five. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. So we we've got uh, you know, I think we've laid out some of the stuff that we want to look at over this last week or so. But more than anything, everybody healthy. Get everybody healthy and to Wrigley Field yes. for an April first date with the Pittsburgh Pirates. But. We will talk to you soon uh, over, you know, uh, you know, before the Cubs take the field on April 1st, you know, we'll have a more official regular season preview, offer up some predictions, things like that. Uh, but otherwise, you know, again, just, just getting this team to the right place uh, for where we want them to be on April 1st, so they can hit the ground running for the 162 game grind. But as always, we appreciate you guys tuning in to the Cubs related podcast, supporting us uh, via downloading and listening to this show on social social media, etc. If you have not done so, if you would be so kind on the Apple uh, Podcasts app to leave us a five-star review and a brief comment about why you like the show, that would be appreciated. It helps us out, helps us get uh, some more listeners, which is always nice to have more of you fine folks in the fold. But 
regardless, we always thank you guys for your support of the Cubs-related podcast. We will talk to you soon. And as always, go Cubs.